0: You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier.
1: Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of The Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about. Ask us any questions you have or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Hey, Marissa, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Matt. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, we were kind of chatting before we started recording here. That's been a while since uh, we've, we've seen each other, whether it's Zoom or in person. But we've been collaborating on some marketing initiatives and I love, love seeing your social media presence out there.
0: Yeah, likewise. It, it's great to stay connected with y'all as a company and, and just great to catch up with you individually.
1: Cool. Well, we are here with Marissa Linsciaco. She is the uh, co-founder of Oto um, prop company, I guess we'll call it. And you guys are crushing it. We love what you guys are doing. We see a ton of parallels uh, between Oto and what Occupy is doing. Eventually some convergence in you know, how we all help out the end users in the commercial real estate space. But before I, you know, try to uh, describe what you guys do, maybe we could talk a little bit about your background, how you got into this. I know you've, you've started and launched multiple companies. You, You have a military background, you've led teams in combat, you've led teams in business, um, how does this all kind of culminate into what you're doing now? And I guess give us your, your kind of quick bio and the story behind OTSA. Yeah,
0: that's, it's obviously a bunch of random events that led to, to this, <laughs> um, as most people's stories are. But yeah, as, as you mentioned, um, I started my career in the military. I went to West Point for undergrad and uh, served five years, got my Iraq t-shirt, was in um, command of uh, over 100 soldiers in combat, uh, served five years, came back and the better part of the last decade has been in, in commercial real estate. When I got out, I, uh, I went to grad school for to business school for two years where I realized, um, my love for entrepreneurship. Uh, that's also where I kind of had my first stint into commercial real estate. Um, I was mentored by, uh, the head of commercial real estate for Hillwood, um, Ross Perot's commercial uh, real estate arm. And, uh, got to be involved in in some of their uh, earlier developments in Alliance, Texas, which is north of Fort Worth there. So cool. that was my first kind of toe dip into the industry. And then when I when I got out of and started my first business, I just kind of ended randomly randomly um, been approached by various people in the industry and, and really just seeing as a whole. And, and I'm sure that's why you're here too, is just the the green field of innovation. Um, and that really most of all, the, the challenges around adoption and, and, but if you were able to like figure out how to bring these products to place, just like the impact that we can make on the industries is super attractive and exciting to me.
1: Yeah. Um, going back to when you got out of the, the military, like what was that transition like going into civilian life, were you worried about how you'd get into the business world? Did you spend some time trying to figure out wh- what you wanted to do? Did business school seem like a safe place to land? Cause they'd give you two years to kind of figure it out. Like what, what was your kind of mental calculus there?
0: Yeah. I think any veteran that comes out, is not worried. I'd be worried about them. It, it is, it <laughs> was very worrisome. Um, and, and exactly. I, I did the the full-time MBA for two years to, to buy myself that time and, and spent those two years doing a ton of informational interviews and learning about different industries and, and different roles in industries. Uh, and then I ultimately, you know, met some entrepreneurs and, and that's where kind of, I ended up where I am.
1: Cool. So what was the first company that you launched?
0: I launched a, a development shop, essentially. I saw at the time, um, some good profit margins with overseas developers, and my family is from the Philippines. And it just so happened I was on a trip there and and met some software developers doing a uh, Ruby on Rails, which was new. I don't know if you know back in 2010. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that was like the hot commodity in the, in the software development world. And so I, I brought these guys on on board and started a business. Had no idea or experience in software development, but figured I could I could learn it pretty quick and. Had some a little a few expensive lessons learned there in the beginning, but we figured it out. The sales cycle and and ended up being essentially a consultant. And our main co- clients were uh, startups, and so we we helped them you know build MVPs and uh, products to get investment. So that's really the the space that we specialized in.
1: Cool. I mean, that must have been incredible experience for you to get working across all of those different startups and in, in your own startup journey. I would imagine
0: it was it was it was great to just see that how that process you know how the bread is made so to say yep. um, there's a lot of things and assumptions that you wouldn't understand i mean how to put a button on a web page although that's much easier now yeah. like back then it was different right but learning how to manage all of that was a skill that i like cherished and used to today but ultimately for me personally and and, and that business model the service business model was just I realized like from how much I was working and, and the projects that I was working on, you're not always like super passionate about the projects and let's face it, the clients can be difficult too. Oh yeah. I realized, you know, after doing that for two and a half years that I'd rather do like a product um, and start a, pro- a company with a product. Uh, so that's, that's where I headed after that.
1: Cool. So fast forward to Oso. how long has it been since you launched?
0: We launched in two thousand and twenty, the beginning of two thousand twenty, yeah, right around the pandemic. <laughs> Although we did, you know, start building and and form the entity um, in early two thousand nineteen. The idea came about late two thousand eighteen. But yes, yeah, so it was it was interesting timing. And everyone always asks us, you know, there was there was two good things that came out of it. Is is number one, uh, because of all the defaults and just the chaos in the industry, we had early adopters or more early adopters than we expected because landlords were looking for creative solutions and and to maximize protection on their assets, right? Mm -hmm. And and number two, the other good thing to starting, but COVID during, as opposed to before COVID is um, we didn't have any exposures. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't have any, uh, any defaults on our books. Right. So yeah, that's that journey was actually, I guess, kind of like blissful in a way because of the the adoption that we got early on from a standpoint of starting an insurance company, we had no clue how to do that. And as you can imagine during COVID, there weren't a lot of banks and insurance companies that were like, Hey, I want to I want to back you <laughs> with a new with a brand new idea. So we we backed a lot of our deals, all our deals ourselves in the very beginning. We started with extremely small deals, you're like five to ten thousand dollar deposits. But as we proved that out, we obviously got the attention of insurance companies. And a year later, we were backed by a $2.5 billion global insurer um, that now protects all our policies.
1: Awesome. So 2018, like what was the idea? Obviously you're playing in that kind of security deposit letter of credit space, you know, in between the tenant and the landlord and the commercial area. Maybe you can just describe for our listeners who might not know what OZO is, like what, what is it?
0: Yeah. So OZO provides protection for every instance of, of tenant default and commercial real estate leases. So we provide landlords with the opportunity to gain additional coverage and they otherwise would collect in typical cash deposits and and letters of credit. So they're able to cover the TI costs and cover some of those fees that typically leave them exposed um, in deals when, you know, when there's tenant default, that's a big loss to them. It's a win-win. Um, we, we help landlords gain that protection, but we are an alternative to those cash deposits and letters of credit. So we don't require, tenants can save that capital and, and not have to put all that money down and, and lock it up for years on end, which is just frankly wasteful. Um, and I know every tenant, and I'm sure you have a lot of those in, in your occupier family and, and customers that are just frustrated by the amount that they have to lock up, um, especially regional to national tenants. Um, that that adds up to the millions, right? Um, So yeah, it's it's kind of a win-win where we help landlords gain additional protection um, and security um, in leases. And we help tenants from locking up that capital.
1: Cool. So the landlord is kind of your prime customer, but you're also adding extreme value to the tenant because they're not coming out of pocket for these expenses, like a huge TI allowance or just a massive security deposit to cover a build-out or something like that. What's the vehicle? Is it, is the landlord purchasing like a software subscription from you that's backed by an insurance policy? Are they buying, taking out a new insurance policy deal by deal? How does it, how does it work? If you want to share that? (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, no, that's, that's a great question. So essentially we uh we have a bond product that is fully backed by our um, insurance partner Accelerant. And so how it works is, you know, the landlord enrolls their properties, it's free. To offer the program to tenants Got it. when they have a new tenant, um, the tenant applies, and that's IP is the underwriting technology that we created to make these decisions, which is essentially in minutes. Um, a tenant applies and gets an approval. The landlord not only gets the decision, um, but they also get a financial report of that tenant' financial standings, along with a grade that we give them a score. From there, they work in. You know, we let them know for. For this amount, this is going to be the fee, right? And and from there, they work it into the deal. Um, and we're essentially passed to the tenant in rent, but the landlord is the one that pays the fee to us. Got it. So from a tenant's perspective, you know they would do the application. Um, landlords like you can put ten thousand dollars down and lock it up, or you can keep your ten thousand dollars and you know pay sixty dollars more month m- month in rent. And then they work that into the deal. Our policy is part of the lease agreement. And, you know, they move forward from there. We cover every instance of default that's um, in that lease. And, you know, in in the case that there's a monetary default or damages or whatnot, whatever's listed in that lease as a default, we, you know, we're able to compensate or get, get the landlord um, that money back.
1: Well, no one's ever thought about this before. It seems so like obvious. I mean, I was a leasing broker forever and, whether I was on the tenant or the landlord side, this was always one of the biggest sticking points in negotiating a, a lease, which is exactly. the security deposit. So from the landlord's perspective, it's like, you're unless you're signing a A credit tenant, like you have to go through all this rigorous financial analysis to figure out like, what is the likelihood that this tenant's gonna default and what level of risk am I gonna ask them to cover? So you're they're not
0: always they're not always those triple A credit No, Most of them yes. are the majority right? of the market. Yeah. yeah. The majority of the market is like the local credit, you know, the small businesses. That's that's the majority of, right. of the market. That's a great question, as well. Is is there was a product. So so here's the story of how we kind of came up with the idea was we saw similar products in the multifamily space doing this and mm-hmm. excelling. Um, and we have our own properties, Joss GP and a few properties in North Houston. And they were struggling and we've struggled it with just two things, um, the frustration of evaluating tenant financials, which I'm sure you experienced firsthand as a leasing broker, um, and what to ask for. Like how do you how do you maximize that protection um in each deal? Um, And then just, yeah, closing that gap to gain more protection in each deal. And we saw what they were doing in the multifamily space as an opportunity to apply to commercial. And although there were some commercial products out there, too, to be exact at the time, what we found was they were not retrofitted appropriately for commercial real estate leases, meaning, you know, it was not a, it was an annual bond, not a multi-year bond. So it's more appropriate for multifamily where leases are a year, but when you go to commercial, they're longer leases. And so that wasn't good enough for us to want to use on our own properties. Um, And then the, the tenant underwriting was pretty onerous. You know, it was taking like weeks to a month plus to get a decision. And as you know, when you've got momentum in a deal, you don't, you don't want this to stop deals. Yeah. Right. And so That that was kind of like the two aha moments for Josh and I, where we're like, huh, I wonder if we can number one figure out how to make that decision really quick and and make that less onerous on the tenant. Yeah. Um, but number two, can we, you know, develop a bond product specifically for the commercial real estate um leases?
1: How does this come into the conversation during a lease negotiation? Are landlord clients Are you using it almost like to market yourself as a more um, kind of business friendly landlord? Um, Or like if I'm a tenant and I'm not aware of Otso, like how do I find out about it? Is it like, Oh, this landlord is offering me this lease clause that says I can, we can cover with this bond. I don't have to put a security deposit. Is it something that they know upfront when they're going to a building that can offer that, that product? Like how do you build awareness? I guess
0: that's the the challenges of, of yeah. new companies in our space, right? As we discussed before before we went live here. Um, so yeah, we primarily target uh, landlords to join because both have to agree. And ultimately the landlord has to decide to want to have it in the agreement. So yeah, as you mentioned, some of our customers are leveraging us to differentiate their listings um, from a marketing perspective and, and saying, hey, this is a deposit-free building. Um, we have customers in Austin where, you know, market's really tight um, and, and they're able to differentiate themselves. So we've had customers in Austin, Houston, and Atlanta leverage that strategy really well. Um, some, some don't choose to do it. It's just, it's more merely an, in their processes. So uh, we always like to say, include us or, or have the tenant apply the earlier, the better. So right before the LOI, like after the tour, if you're interested, um, here's a, you know, the landlord will present it as a, hey here here's a way for us to assess your financials in a, potential opportunity for you to save in deal costs. Right. And so they do it, they kind of approach it or introduce it that way. If it's coming from the tenant where, you know, tenants have found us through our marketing efforts or, you know, from, from other tenants that have used us, um, word on the streets, I guess, spreading about us. But, uh, if, if a tenant uses us, they can have and the tenant reps who use us for their clients, like to leverage us early on. So, presenting their client to landlords, especially in tight markets with strength financially has helped tenant reps, you know, get their clients up up front and center, get the attention of that landlord when they're looking at multiple other tenants. And so they leverage us through what we call our pre-approval process. And um, the tenant applies for, you know, we always tell them apply for more than than you think that it would be. You know, they would ask for in a deposit because you're, you're giving them more protection and then they get the decision and then they get that financial report. So they not only present the landlord with, hey, this tenant can be backed by this much, you know, this amount by an A credit um, insurer, but here's their financial standing and, and here's a kind of detailed report on, on how everything looks there.
1: Yeah, that's amazing because, I mean, that being part of the initial conversation would make deals move so much faster, make landlords so much more comfortable, give tenants an upper hand when there's a tight market and it's like, oh, there's like 10 other tenants looking at this space. Like, look, here's my financials. Here's my credit backing. Like, we can do this deal today. Just tell me what the rent is. And it's a nominal expense for the tenant on that additional rent. And it gives the landlord that much like protection.
0: Tenant reps are also using us to just in general, like brokers like us because we're we're helping kind of like streamline the deals for them and taking off that friction point up front. Yeah. But tenant reps are also using us as you know they got to vet their clients sometimes. And every tenant right. rep has had that one client where it's like, oh well, yeah, you know, you don't really know until maybe the financials
1: they're yeah. legit. Especially smaller businesses, right? <laughs> Especially
0: yeah. smaller businesses. So there we have tenant reps actually incorporating us into their internal process of even just like vetting clients up front. But then they've got like this whole packet on them that when they start going out, they've got all that ready when they're ready to tour and and present to
1: land. Like getting pre-approved for a mortgage, right? Like when you will go out to buy a house, like you're if you have that yeah. pre-approval letter, your your broker is going to want to work with you, and the sellers are going to say, "Okay, cool, this is legit." Like we know these people can can transact.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it gives it gives everybody that peace of mind upfront. So that's not. I mean, how many times have you? From the leasing broker side, have you done a deal and and secure your deposit TBD on financial review?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's that's pretty much how it works until you get to the final LOI, and then they start financials, and and then it's like, okay, we got the signed LOI, and the landlord's running financials on this tenant, and it turns out that they're a startup and they don't have any revenue, and they have a ton of debt. But, you know, they have a really good product and the CFO has got to get on the call and defend the company. And then sure. the landlord has to figure out how am I going to underwrite this? And am I willing to take this risk? Uh, you know, should I should I retrade the deal and you know, I can not give them as much TI? So you could totally see these deals like unravel just on that security deposit discussion. It happens all the time.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We've also been leveraged in ways. So just like as additional, I like would say the landlord still wants to. Collect a little bit of cash. Maybe they're not collecting as much, but they feel more worried about the TI that's amortized over like a ten-year lease. Right. And so they leverage us to like you know gain that additional protection to protect those dollars. Mm-hmm. Um. So that again, at least they're they're not feeling too overly exposed and naked in the deal should that tenant default in the first couple of years.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you you made a point earlier around the pandemic, right? You started during the pandemic. You hadn't had any defaults on your. On your policy yet, I got to imagine like the right place, right time, right? Like there were tons of tenant defaults during the pandemic, especially retailers and small businesses, right? Companies that just by nature of what was happening in the world, couldn't do business anymore. So like, yeah. how, how did that play out for you guys?
0: I mean, to be candid, we had a lot of applications that weren't approved. And, and that was like, from a branding standpoint, something we had to figure out is that, you know, that we aren't a product. For tenants that don't to make up that cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. If they don't, if they don't have the cash to cover a deposit or pay rent, then we're definitely not going to approve that. We're we're for the tenants that can afford it, don't want to lock yeah. it up. But um, yeah, I mean, we had to kind of be diligent in in kind of our underwriting processes, and you know that evolves as the market changes with different asset classes. You know, it it is different. We weren't able to approve a lot of applications, but what was good too, is we helped a lot of our, our landlord customers from doing deals with tenants that they probably would have otherwise, well, I not probably, they would have otherwise uh, gone in with, had we not told them, hey, this is, that they're not going to get approved because they're only showing this much here, you know, <laughs> like yeah. um, we have one customer, we probably seen two to three deals from from going in with tenants um, that would have most likely defaulted in the first couple of years.
1: Yeah what are the main verticals that you see this getting the most traction in is it in the office space world is it uh, retail is it healthcare like where where do you see kind of yeah, the, the main um, drivers
0: it's interesting because right now we have more a little bit more office retail industrial than office offices picking up but it's across like all boards. so you know from a value prop it's pretty agnostic to the industry from from a standpoint of what we're going after aggressively yeah like retail medical especially medical we love medical franchise like expansions you know those companies especially with occupier i'm sure you guys work with a lot of those yes. those types that are expanding and so but yeah otherwise we're not we're in every every asset class other than you know obviously multifamily just we just do businesses and, and provide value to all of them
1: yeah No, I get that question. We get that question all the time, usually from people that are not in the industry that don't know it that well is, why don't you just focus on retail or focus on office or focus on a certain sector? And the the reality is, is that the problem persists anywhere there's a lease, right? If there's a lease for you guys, there's a security deposit, right? If there's a lease for us, there's data that needs to be managed and and especially at scale with companies that have several leases, um, whether it's a biotech lease or a retail lease or a office lease, there's risk involved in, yeah. that, in that lease. It's just really the semantics of how it's written.
0: We want to be looked at as in, in like three to five years, we know that we've succeeded when landlords are like, what in the world did I do before OATSO? How did mm-hmm. I even like think to, to, to operate or mm-hmm. do to go into a deal without at least getting the tenants to apply <laughs> so I can get that, so I can get that report. Yeah. Um, or, or at least you know, use myself in every deal because the bigger picture here from a value prop for us is we help landlords deal by deal. But if you think about it from total portfolio, total asset perspective, just looking at the value of the asset as you are gaining more like protection and gaining more capital on protection on that property per deal, that also directly influences the value of that property.
1: Got it. I, I was going to ask you that: how they're looking at that from a valuation underwriting perspective? Are you talking about that additional rent that they're getting from the tenant um, for both. the coverage, or getting just a little, a, go ahead? Yeah,
0: it, it, it's 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 a both. So again, essentially, you know, they they are gaining that rent, but more importantly, it's like what was a a, a building be valued at with three to five hundred percent more protection than it would if it wasn't
1: right? If it wasn't right. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm looking to sell, sell an asset or buy an asset in the traditional sense, I'm always going to underwrite some level of default and lease role and like revenue loss, uh, just based on either like a market standard or like what's happening in that, in that uh, rent role for that building. But when you have that extra coverage, knowing that, hey, even if like the biggest tenant in this building defaults, if we buy this thing, we're still going to be covered on that huge security deposit, you know, that we outlaid. Um, yeah. And if not only that,
0: you're covered, you're everyone's backed by a rated credit, right? At the end of the day as well. So that that's been and we do transfer over. So we've had where, you know, like a landlord sells while they have our policies in place and our policies seamlessly transfer over to the next owner.
1: Because it's in that lease. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. So what's the big vision? Uh, obviously you can grow building by building, landlord by landlord, tenant by tenant, broker by broker. How do you see this? Because every prop tech company is like a wedge into an inefficient way of doing things, right? And, And, but what I've learned from talking to investors, whether they're VCs or angels or anybody, they're just like, okay, cool. Like you guys do awesome for what you guys do. Like, where's the big vision? So like, how would you kind of describe yours?
0: yeah. um well, holistically, from you know the product that we offer, we uh, want to really position ourselves to be that comprehensive package and tool for landlords to to optimize and maximize their protection and value for their properties. Got it. So, um, and one of the questions I see you were gonna ask is like recent news. and and Andrew and I have talked about this on our on our marketing efforts. is like, how do we become change true like influential change makers in this industry with our businesses? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's partnerships. Um, and so we've recently announced a partnership with Megalytics, uh, Donna Salvatore is the founder there, and Megalytics offers um, tenant tracking. So now we've partnered and, and are able to not only help the landlord you know, make the decision on a lease and gain protection for their assets, but we're also able to help the landlord stay ahead and monitor tenant tenant performance. So it's not like a, oh, gotcha, when a tenant defaults, it's like, oh, you know, th- three years in and there's, they're not paying, they're not paying, you know, they're not making um, their credit payments and there's a derogatory remark here or a lawsuit came up or they changed entity names, which is another common thing that happens, you know? Okay. Um, so really becoming that, that full, comprehensive package and a lot of our customers complain about this with with solutions in our industry right like oh y'all are just so niche i'll just like yeah. kind of do this one little part but you know our goal is you know partnerships is with folks such as yourself and occupier as well it's like just becoming that go-to package for for landlords to know okay i need I, i'm doing a deal i gotta have OTSO. i'm gonna have this tenant tracker And then, you know, like we're going to make occupier occupier services in, like that's where we see ourselves from, you know, the product standpoint, even bigger than that though, is, is the data that we're collecting. There is no record of default data, business default data on leases. And you can imagine the value that that brings to lots of different organizations, insurance, credit, like other landlords, Um, whether or not a business is, performs in a lease successfully, that's a big deal. Yeah. And would not you, as a landlord, w- want to know like, hey, this business is, this tenant that's applying has successfully performed in like three previous leases or this this tenant that's applying to your property defaulted on their last lease. Yeah. Like you'd want to know that information. So um, that that's, you know, even like the bigger picture for where, where this could head afterwards is becoming a source of truth for tenant performance.
1: Yeah, makes a ton of sense. It's interesting because you never get asked that question when you're, or you never hear a landlord ask that question. Have you ever defaulted on a lease? No. It's like, but it's such an obvious thing to ask, <laughs> right? It like, is. Yeah.
0: No, yes, they, we. No, we they have, don't ask it. Yeah, they don't yeah. ask
1: it. Okay. Um, all right, Marissa. Let's do some rapid fire questions here. Um, question one. Now you get one minute to answer, and you don't need to take the whole minute. If it's just- Is this
0: like trivia questions
1: or? No, they're just questions, you know.
0: (laughs) Okay.
1: I'm not Uh, great at trivia, so I'll Uh, say that up front. Spanish Armada. (laughs) Um, Okay. How do you start your day?
0: I start my day, I have a a very protected morning ritual. Um, I, I start my day with meditation. And then from there, I get ready. While I get ready, I listen to, um, there's an app called Headway, where I listen to a book that's like 15, takes 15 minutes to get through. And then after that, I have um, journaling in my, um, I, I use like a panda planner. It's called a panda planner. I highly recommend it. But uh, I, I write three things I'm grateful for, three things I'm excited about, and I plan out the priorities of my day. So those are like the three kind of things that I do um, and start my morning.
1: Awesome, strong, like it, okay. Question number two, what would be the title of your autobiography?
0: Oh my gosh, I have a minute.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it has to be appropriate, okay <laughs> for a podcast. um no, I think um that's a tough one i I think just like something about grit, grit grit um,
1: that's a good one.
0: yeah. I feel like that's been the underlying foundational kind of part of all of my journey is in getting through things and accomplishing things. It's just been sticking to it.
1: Cool. We'll take it. All right. Question three, what makes you nostalgic?
0: What makes me nostalgic about just like personally or professionally or just just in
1: general, you know, that feeling, yeah. That feeling you get about nostalgia, like the past and, good vibes
0: you know what's interesting um music does it always connects me like I could hear a song and I'll be like I know exactly where I was and it brings me to a moment so I'd say like that that's an easy one it's just like whenever I hear like music it it always brings me back to certain like different moments in my life
1: yep for me it's like certain smells I smell something and I'm like oh, that reminds me of something from my past um, cool. All right. Question number four. Uh, what's the most exhilarating thing that you've ever done?
0: Other than, uh, deploying to a combat zone. Yeah. Have maybe to that say, was um...
1: kind of an easy question, easy answer there, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> although I will, I will say like from a moment of, let's say, we're talking about nostalgia here. The coolest thing I did while in a combat zone was uh I got to fly. I take night mission. I go on night mission flights with my friends who are pilots, and I got to jump. What they call jump seat, just kind of like hitch a ride. And um, sometimes you know when I was really stressed, I I'd go on the night shift with some of my pilot friends and jump seat to just kind of relieve some stress. And uh, on a Chinook, which is like the bigger um, army helicopters,
1: yep. two propellers. One of the them ramp just flew up. by here, to be honest. In Boston oh, really? Harbor, I saw a Chinook helicopter oh, fly by. Yeah, weird. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, so like the ramp opens up and you're able to like kind of um, tie in, they tie you in. And that was like one of the most exhilarating, memorable things I'd ever done in my life was flying over Baghdad at 2 a.m. When there was no one, because there's curfew, so no one, it was an empty city. Um, on the back of a Chinook, just like the air's blowing and and I'm tied down and just like looking down off the ramp in the back and it opens up, that that has to be like hands down one of the most exhilarating moments of my
1: life. It sounds scary slash exhilarating slash, you know, awesome. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. All right, last question. Um, Question number five. Who should we have on this podcast next?
0: There are a few, um, people I, I can think of, I'd say, um, Carrie Bob would be amazing, especially from a standpoint of retail, retail tenants, um, Sydney Phillips, AI VR world and how that's, you know, coming to our industry. Um, yeah, those would be the two that I, I think of off the top of my head.
1: Cool. There's my our marketing team. Note that there's two leads for our podcast. So we will, we will reach out for sure. Awesome. Um, Marissa, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Um, really yeah, thanks having for having me, Yeah, it's great to see all your success, and we're big believers in what you guys are doing, and we look forward to kind of collaborating more going forward.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thanks for all having right. me. Take care. Cheers.